Hi guys, this is Jack Grimmer and you're listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast. Hello, welcome to the Fulham Focus Podcast. My name's Matt Boisclair and you join us as we take a break from revelling in the fact that it might just be coming home this summer to have a chat about the very well-documented fact that Scott Parker left the club on Monday to join Bournemouth. Fulham are scot-free, but at Fulham Focus Towers, we've been busy in making some new pod team summer signings. So we firstly welcome our sports journalist student, Dylan Shabas and Matt Wiggo-Wiggins, who does something super important at Heathrow Airport. Lads, don't worry if you're shit. Baldo's been getting away with it for years, and he also joins us tonight, along with your other regular Morgan Carlton. So let's have a chat about the man who probably still divides opinion like not many other Fulham managers have done in the past. Fulham. Right, well, before we start, we told you a few months ago that Morgs is doing a mammoth walk this summer for charity, and it's this weekend. So Morgs, give it one final push, so to speak. Uh, yeah, so this Saturday morning at 5am, bright and early, I will be leaving Winchester and heading for Eastbourne, 100 miles away on foot uh, along the South Downs Way, which is lovely and picturesque. But apparently the weather forecast is showers. So it's going to be miserable, painful. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, so we're fundraising for two charities, Calm, who I've done some fundraising with with uh, Fulham fans before in the past and uh, Chestnut Tree House. So that's a Sussex-based children's hospice. Uh, we've actually beaten our uh, fundraising total already. We're on about 1,200 quid after you know, with a £1,000 target. But obviously any more would be greatly appreciated because it's going to be a miserable time if the weather uh, is as predicted. So if you go to my uh, Twitter page, uh, which is at MC Calton, there's a link to the fundraising page there. And yeah, any donations will be greatly appreciated. Miserable, painful, really looking forward to it. Much like most Fulham games, mate. So yeah, there we go. All right, let's let's talk about Scott Parker. Um, so he's gone. Dylan, I'm going to bring you in first, mate. Welcome to the show. How do you feel? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's been a long time coming. I mean, uh, obviously, yeah, Bournemouth have been linked with him since, since before we came up in the first place. Um, does seem a bit of a sideways step and you wonder what it says about us as a club right now but um yeah best of luck to him all right mate and we go let's bring you in I'm sure you're very happy with that aren't you mate yeah i'm glad he's gone mate i'm gonna be honest with you um i think it's been a long time coming really this season's been a really painful one um it was probably the right thing for both the club and scott parker time to go fresh ideas Bit of a new direction for us as well now. Um, but good luck to him. Good luck to him at Bournemouth. Um, but yeah, I'm glad he's gone personally. It seems like he wanted to go um, from from what we understand. I, I, I don't think Fulham necessarily were going to boot him out, but it, it seems like it was his choice to go and uh, and he wanted to go to Bournemouth. We don't really know what's gone on behind the scenes. There's been talks of fallouts with players, but... In my mind, players are bound to be pissed off if they aren't playing. So I, I wonder where those reports of players being being um, pissed off with him have come from. Is it players who are in the team or is it players who just haven't been playing all season? Mitrovic particularly, I suspect. Uh, I suspect. Um, and then you think about, you know, all those lone players that we have. 
they're probably not going to be slagging him off. They've gone back to their parent club. So I, I wonder how much fabrication there is and how, how true that sort of um, that sort of report is. Um, I think potentially he can leave with his head held high. He's got one promotion under his belt. And I think, to be honest, he tried his absolute best to make it work, potentially with difficult people above him in the hierarchy and arguably a, a substandard squad as well. I don't agree that Scott Parker's a Fulham legend, but... When he comes back with Bournemouth this season, I think he'll probably get a decent decent enough reception. And if he doesn't, I'll be disappointed. Morgs, what do you think, mate? I would certainly agree he's not a Fulham legend. I think he was part of a club at difficult times. Um, as a player, obviously, he went down with us uh, and played for a couple of seasons when we weren't good at all. Uh, as a manager, obviously, he came in, again, at a very difficult time. You can't, obviously... No blame in his shoulders for the relegation first time round. He did, obviously, any manager who takes a team up uh, through the championship has done well because it's such a difficult league. Should he have gone up automatically, given the opportunities at times? Possibly yes, but regardless of that, we still have our win over Brentford at Wembley, which, uh, you know, is always one saver. But this season, I think he just showed that he was massively out of his depth. And whether that's an experience thing, whether that's just a, uh, you know, issues with his man management abilities, you know, because whilst, yes, so maybe some of the players who were disgruntled because they left out the team were voicing their disapproval on him, there kind of is no smoke without fire. And it seems as if some of what he did was to assert his authority on a team uh, without really thinking it through in terms of uh, team morale. But, Obviously, we're not behind. Uh, we're not in the dressing room. We don't really know what's going on. It's all hearsay until someone officially confirms it, and no one will because that's not how it's done. So I think I'm, I'm glad he's gone. Um, I'm sad he's gone in the sense that I wanted him to be a long-term manager, but I also you know, wasn't going to just do that for the sake of it, want that for the sake of it. So... It's a shame it didn't work out, but I'm not shedding any tears over this particular exit. And Baldo, the football was boring. What are your thoughts? Honestly, I'm just a bit meh about the whole thing because this is something that's been you know, coming for, for a while now, as you know, the first two have said, it's been a long time coming. And when the announcement came, it's not like it was a sudden thing. Like, like when Nuno Espirito Santo left Wolves, it came all of a sudden out of the blue, like no one really expected it. Whereas with Scott Parker, it's been dragged on for, you know, weeks and, you know, probably months at this stage where people said, oh, I want him gone. And so, so the fact that it was, you know, brought brought to an end finally, it was just meh, is Oh, oh, it's finally happened. Okay, let's let's get on with our life. Let's go on with appointing the new manager, which, as we record, is still is still going on. But you never know. Um, I I still maintain that he probably deserved a shot to bring us back up. You know, I don't. I you know I said many times last season. I don't put last season on him. I think the circumstances he was given, the short turnaround from the playoff final, the powers from above. He he did. Unless the football was properly bad which some would argue it would you know and we were cut adrift and we were effectively Sheffield United then I feel he still should have got still should have got a go so I still I still maintain that he should have you know he earned the chance to try again with us next season and if things were going bad in October November then you reassess it but 
the way that he sort of, you know, once his head was turned to Bournemouth and the way he's, again, reportedly, allegedly acted behind the scenes, there was, there's no really coming coming back from this point. I know Danny said it in the um, in one of our chats. You know the bridges have been burned. So even if Bournemouth pulled out at the last minute and all of a sudden was stuck with Parker, you you couldn't really go back to that. So yeah, I think once his head was turned, he started being in negotiations. That was it. And in all honesty, I'm not I'm not all that fussed. You know he's had his time. Let's move on. Let's see what happens next. After that Liverpool game where we lost at Anfield, sorry, where we won at Anfield, sorry, and then lost every game thereafter. If he'd, if he'd, if we started talking about Scott Parker, then would would everybody have had such animosity before that losing, whatever it was, 10, 11 game run at the end of the season, or are we just basing this on the fact that we crumbled at the crucial point of the season? Any of you come in? Well, I would say that we'd gotten to a point when we won the Liverpool game, we were on a sort of upward trajectory in terms of a performances be morale and it was just we thought we were coming out we were you know we we're about to see the sort of not the great escape because we was you know we had still plenty of the season left but we were going to see ourselves climb out because he'd got everything sorted uh, okay yes we weren't scoring many but defense was sorted solid core great but just how it crumbled afterwards uh it's like how there is something wrong there and whether it's uh, man management or whether it's the players or whatever, it's just, you know, it was kind of a bit of a, it was a bit of a shock to see something go that badly wrong after such an amazing win. So I don't know. I don't know what happens, what happened behind the scenes after that, but clearly something wasn't right. And whether that's all down to sort of team morale or if it was just down to the fact that other teams found us out too easily up to that point. Yeah, I also think it could be where, we just didn't turn up to the games that we had to win against the teams around us. You know, it's all well and good going down with wins against the likes of Liverpool and Everton and Leicester. But, we, you know, we didn't beat teams like Brighton or Burnley, Newcastle. These were teams that were scrapping it out around us. You know, and we go there, get draws, lose to a couple of them. But, yeah, 10 games to go, you win at Liverpool, confidence is massively high. And you think the only way is up. I remember tweeting about it after the game saying that the squad was definitely good enough to stay up and really saw a belief. But yeah, you just I just don't know what happened, really. I think, as you say, Morgs, we probably got figured out, I think, by a lot of teams and a lot of managers. And there was no plan B there from Scott Parker, in my opinion. It was kind of the aim was to not go 1-0 down in a game. And if we do, then what do we do next? I never, ever saw any attempt to try and call that back or anything. So, yeah, I'm a little, I'm quite disappointed by that, really. Yeah, I think, as you say, it was the crucial stage of the season when we started to lose those games after the Liverpool win was sort of a really, really good opportunity for us to sort of build on that and uh, potentially progress up the table. But obviously, you know, the performances just weren't up to scratch after that game. I don't know whether that result got to their heads a little bit in the in the Man City game, which was, that's excusable. But then the Leeds, the Villa and the Wolves games, those performances were sort of, they didn't, it wasn't like we were surrendering, but we just sort of looked. We didn't look the same outfit that had played Liverpool and it was pretty much the same personnel all the way through. So that does lead you to ask what's going on behind the scenes. Is there like interest from anywhere else or has Park just sort of lost his way with the crowd a little bit? Um, but I don't I don't think we can afford to sit here and say, what if? I mean, it, 
at the end of the day, when it mattered, it wasn't good enough. So I think change was probably the only correct sort of course of action, even if the problems run a lot deeper than it appears on the surface. Um. All right, well... Wigo, do you think anyone that comes in will actually be able to improve the situation? Um, or or do you think, you know, Dylan's just said that the problems run a lot deeper than, than just the manager. We're talking about, you know, potentially Chris Wilder coming in. Um, Marco Silva's been linked. Every manager who's kind of out of work, who's done the championship rounds, is being linked with us at the moment. There's there's obviously some favourites and, and some people who are a bit further out, but... Can anyone is is this a job for anybody to come in and, and improve? Do you think can it happen? Look, I, I think we've got the attacking talent, Matt. You know, there we've got some great players in our team, and a, certainly on paper, one of the best squads in the championship. I think any manager would be grateful to come in and see a squad that way with the permanent players we've got anyway. I know we might be looking a little bit threadbare after losing some of the lone players, but still having the likes of Mitrovic and obviously Tosin from last season. And, you know, how good Michael Hector was in the championship as well. We've got those sorts of players to have. And, you know, in previous years, Cavaliero was brilliant for Wolves in the championship. Knockart was brilliant for Brighton in the championship a few years ago. Deco Dover-Reed at Bristol City. We've got players who had unbelievable seasons for other clubs and then come to Fulham and their first season in the championship wasn't good enough. Now, I don't know if you put that down to the coaching or you put that down to a lack of confidence. I'm not too sure. But we've definitely got the potential there. And there's potential for this squad to go all the way into the top two at the end of the season. And I do think there is room for improvement, definitely. And the right, we need to get a manager in who knows the English market, make the right sign-ins, get some attacking talent in there, because there's one thing we need, and that's to score goals this season. I think one of the big things that would have uh, that Parker would have had an issue with is that had he been given the opportunity to take the season, you know, start the season. And hopefully, you know, get promoted and whatnot. He had annoyed a lot of these players that had got the team up. Did he have the experience or the man management ability to be able to turn them around and get them back on side? I don't think he did. I think it would have been too big a job for someone of his character, his inexperience, um, to come in at, in preseason and say, "All right, lads, we go again." With those same players that he, the previous season, he, you know, fobbed off loaned out, whatever. Um, and I think whilst it would have been, you know, he, you know, say he may have deserved an opportunity. I don't know if he did. I don't, you know, he got away, uh, you know, he got a free pass almost last year. But I think uh, we needed a new, a new face to come in, talk to these players that were clearly sort of, you know, pissed off that they'd been left out last year uh, or not given the opportunity and say, right, we start again. I don't know you. This is this is your chance to impress me, and I think that's what's needed for this season. Because if we'd kicked off in August with those same players, I think we would have got off to a bad start. Parker would have ended up getting fired, and it's a you know essentially a wasted season. This time round, we're starting afresh from the beginning, and we have this opportunity to go straight back up with a clean slate. Baldo, the, the silence is deafening from uh, Tony Khan at the moment. But no one's heard from him on Twitter for a while. Um, there's rumours that he might be stepping back and concentrating on on the um, AEW stuff. Um, what what are your thoughts on, on Tony Khan? I mean, it's it's easy to kind of throw shit at Scott Parker because he's the manager, but we we can't avoid this elephant in the room. 
We can't. And the thing is, now is arguably the worst time for him to step back because whilst I'm not the biggest fan of Tony Khan, predominantly because of the way he conducts himself on social media and and the fact that he's spreading himself away. But you can't argue with the fact that when, you know, after he's been, you know, appointed as director of football, head of scouting, whatever his role was, in the championship, he can do a good job. Like the, the players he's brought in, I think he was part of the McDonald uh, Stefan Johansson season. Um, Mitrovic, there's some gray area because some of it gets uh, pinned on Savisi Kanovic. Harrison Reed in the championship, Michael Hector, who did well, Josh Honor, all these like in the championship. He does a good job. So when you really want to, when we really want to be rebuilding now, no, it's really when we want it more than ever, if anything. But if he does step down, then I'm not going to be totally. I'm not going to be totally saddened. I think, you know, it is something that has, it's it's it, it's meant to have happened probably long before this, but now has come the time. I think his inactivity on Twitter just speaks to the whole thing because he's probably had enough and I would and I wouldn't blame him, you know, the amount of abuse that comes in for him from social media from fans on social media. Criticism fine, the abuse not so much. So I think if it is time for him to step, I again I wouldn't blame it. It probably does make sense, but I at least would have hoped that you know there's talk about bringing a new scouting director slash director of football behind the scenes. I think maybe if he just got this one this one window out of the way and said, right, I'm going to get you know my magic my magic stats machine, I'm going to get you the guys for the first you know run of the season, and then I'm going to step back and leave it up to you. I think that would be a pretty fair compromise. But as I've said. Uh-huh. I'd rather, I'd rather he didn't because I think it's all very well saying that, yeah, the, the last two seasons we were in the championship, we've been promoted and he's he's managed to put a, a short-term solution in place with a maybe a sticky plaster, get a load of loans in. But there's no sustainability. There's no long-term plan. It's like, right, promotion at all costs and then worry about the rest later. And what I want to see is, I, I know we've been linked with um, Javier Pereira, haven't we, as a, as a, as a scout. Um, or as a director of football or whatever. Um, and I, I want to see whoever comes into that role, if it's not Tony Khan. And if it is Tony Khan, I want to see them build something over a longer period of time that can, you know, do a Leeds or a Sheffield United and and stay more than one season in the Premier League, build a team that can that can compete in the Championship, but be good enough to step up. So when we do get up to the Premier League, we're not having to start again. Any... Any coach that or head coach that comes in is going to have to work under a stats-based transfer system. That's just a simple fact of how our club is run now. Yeah. Whether it invo- involves working with Tony Khan, that's what's up for you know uh, debate. I, yeah, as you say, this is why Javier Pereira, if it is him that's coming in, or if they have found someone else for that role, that's going to be the important relationship within sort of the first team level. But we can't be leaving it. We can't just sort of, Baldy, you were saying sort of, you know, Tony Khan taking the reins for this first part. No, this is this is when you start afresh. It's a summer. This is, it's the first full summer for two years. We get this right now, and then the January transfer window isn't as important because every January transfer window is a massive stress. Fees are pumped up. You end up with someone who, you know, you've had to rush in, and obviously. In this case, it was in the last case, it was Josh Madger. And it's just a terrible way of planning for a season. But if we can get it right this time around, 
in the summer uh, summer break, then we set ourselves up well. But it will be stats based. We just, you know, it's just that's how a lot of football clubs are run these days, and a lot of them successfully in that way. Yeah, I should point out that was just an idea that I had running around my head. I'm not saying it's the perfect way or what we should be doing. I was like, that was just an idea if we're going to phase Tony Khan out at some stage. It's it's one way. It's not necessarily the way. Yeah, I think when you talk about improving the situation with the squad, um, it's it's not like, you know, we win against Peterborough and Blackpool next season. The, the squad we had in the championship last season was fine. Getting promoted isn't a problem. Like the improvement is only going to be like noticeable and be able to be judged when we're back in the Premier League and back amongst the big boys. Because, you know, wins against teams in the championship are only going to paper over sort of cracks that we may have. Uh, We're only going to be able to like notice any real change when we're back with the big boys, I reckon. So it's sort of like the workman and his tools sort of thing, you know. Um, I just, yeah, I just think... um, that you know we can't we won't really be able to talk about any sort of improvement on this season until we're back in the Premier League because yeah sort of the squad the squad we had in the Championship was fine you know Cavalero Knockart um, Mitrovic all prem, Premier League standard players on their day uh, so that's sort of the level that they should be judged at and we should be judged at the same level as a club you know it's all right it's all right winning those games and getting promoted but only if we can prove ourselves that we that we can stay up the season after. I think the thing is, as well, if you look at sort of, Baldo, I get what you're saying about Tony Khan, you know, who's there for the signings of Johansson, McDonald, etc. But the guy hasn't really got a clue about football, let's be honest. His dad's bought the club. He's given him Fulham. It's like giving your son a toy to play with to keep him entertained, essentially. It, that's what it is. And if you look at the way we've been run, it's been carnage. The whole Craig Klein situation, all of that. It, it's laughable, really. And it's like, I mean, it's like one of our dads buying an American football team. I don't really know it at all, but I'm going to go over there and I'm going to be in charge of recruitment and in charge of the whole club. You know, that's just, that's essentially what it's like. And we've always, you know, a club of our history, a club of our standing in the Premier League for 13 years, we've got to your European final, you know. We've always got to be planning to take the next step. And in that year when we beat Brentford, you read stuff like we weren't planning to go up. We're one of the biggest clubs in the championship. We should always be planning to go up. You know, it's so amateurish. You need people who know football, people who understand football, and people who understand English football as well. The English football is so unique. It has, it's so different to anywhere else in the world that I think it's good that he could be, he'll be taking a step back. Fingers crossed. We know, we know for a fact as well, because a uh, friend of the show, John Collins, John Collins wanted to be involved. And I don't know if he ever applied to, to, to Fulham for the Collins job. John? But... No, not no, not Collins, John, John Collins, John Collins, um, who, um, you know, he, he would have liked to have worked um, in kind of alongside Tony Khan and in, in that kind of position um, because, you know, he, he talks to Danny and 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 he said that he knows the French players. He knows all of the French younger players and we could have we could have unearthed some gems with him. Um, so that's that's the sort of thing I'd like to see happen. If it, if it is Tony Khan who's still director of football, bring somebody in like John Collins, um, and you know start looking at the the lower French leagues and start building something for the future, rather than just using this stats model, signing a few players who have got some magnificent stats from I don't know a, a season with Lyon or something or who, whoever these players are coming from, and and try, try and build something, but don't rush it. 
that you know if we don't go up this season, but we we you know we we build a structure of a squad that can you know we can build upon in next season and maybe look to go up the season after, then I'm happy with that. But do we think Parker went from being completely on board with how the system worked to suddenly not, as it were? Because it was all seemed not lovey-dovey at the beginning, but they seemed to have a fairly good relationship. It, you know, He got a bunch of players in the championship, which he may or may not have had any say on how it worked. But at the same time, there seemed to be some sort of collaboration between Parker and Khan, or at least Parker and the stats team or whatever. Um, and I find it strange that it all just collapsed for whatever reason. Maybe it was just the one thing around the striker. Or maybe, you know, because Tony Khan was spending so much time uh, on the wrestling stuff or because of, obviously because of COVID, he wasn't ever in the same room as him over the last 18 months or however long it's been. So I'm trying to work out if Parker always had an issue with the system but just smile politely because it was his first managerial job and they were going to offer him a lot of money if he got them promoted. Or if it was, you know, if there was something over the course of the season that really just sent the whole relationship spiraling and made the whole thing untenable from the moment we were down. Well, we can speculate, right? We can speculate all we want. We don't know what happened, but... What I will say is that when you're getting results and you're winning games, then it's easy to just sweep that kind of stuff under the carpet. Either, you know, as as supporters or even internally, you think, well, all right, well, maybe these people don't get on, but who cares because we're winning football matches. But as soon as things start to go wrong, then that's when people really come out fighting because they're fighting for their lives, they're fighting for their reputation, they're fighting for their jobs. I think the turning point in that sort of situation might have been the Villa game at the start of the season. It was sort of midway through that transfer window. And we lost 3-0 and his face, Parker's face at the end of the game was just, you know, one of utter dejection. You know, we'd started players like Tim Ream and Dennis Adoy, who obviously I understand when we came up the first time, we spent, what, £140 million on 12 new players or something. And so they were keen not to make the same mistakes, but they sort of made just different mistakes by signing absolutely no one. And all of a sudden we were way, way, way out of our depth in the Premier League with, um, you know, maybe only three, four Premier League standard players in the team. Obviously we had Ariola and Tete in already. But um, yeah, it just feels like that could have been one where Khan left Parker with literally no resources and he had to practically fend for himself before rushing through three, four signings on deadline day. I mean, that's just my opinion. but. Uh, I feel like that could have been a turning point. And also, given it was his first managerial job, he obviously had, you have no idea how other clubs do stuff. So you've just got to sort of take what you're doing as the given. So um, how do you know your situation's bad without knowing what anyone else's is like? You've never been in a different situation. So there's nothing to say that that's not the best, the best around. But there was also you know, the case of we finished the championship season in August and started the Premier League season very soon after there wasn't a lot of time to you know do recruitment over that sort of you know for what it's worth pre-season but he still chose uh, one player aside to start the same team that played in the championship playoff final against Arsenal I think it was always going to be a disaster because he knew well we all know that sort of the players were substandard for this league but 
he did get some decent players in, and it took them a while to gel. But given the situation um, in, in the world, it's you know it was a bit of a no-win situation really. But he it did eventually sort of come together. But I can't say that he should you know that Khan uh, was you know the relationship would have been affected by that recruitment over the summer because there wasn't much of a summer to have the recruitment in. Uh, I guess the only issue being that, you know, a couple of defenders came in late and I think there might have been a lot of fanning about over who they were going to get. Um, so whether that was something that caused a lot of tension between them, don't know. And the lack of striker when there was only one in the squad who was any good and who quickly became not very good, uh, that may have, maybe it was just the sort of straw that broke the camel's back in that case. Well, I think, as you say, with the recruitment, the likes of Ariola and Anderson coming in and Tete as well, these players were coming in looking to try and get into their European Championship squad. I think that is why we managed to sign players of these calibre. You know, Ariola on the fringes of France, you know, would he get in, would he not? On loan at Real Madrid last year. Um, you know, he's guaranteed first-team football. And the same with Anderson trying to get into Denmark. He's sort of on the fringes at Lyon wants to get regular first-team football going into a major international tournament. And obviously, the team getting relegated. Ruben, Ruben Loftus-Cheek. The Loftus-Cheek, another one, absolutely. The team going down doesn't isn't very good, is it? It doesn't do them any favours. But that, I think that's why we got these sorts of players in, because they're trying to get minutes. So the recruitment's been fantastic. But if it wasn't in a year where there's a major international tournament, I don't think we'd have got signed players like that at all. All right, let's let's bring it back to Scott Parker then. Um, let's let's talk about let's try and find a positive because, I, as I said at the beginning, I know Scott Parker's going to divide opinion. I, I quite like him. Many don't. Um, many many are glad to see the back of him. I would quite like to have seen us have another go with him in the championship, but here we are. So let, let's talk about our our favourite Scott Parker moment. Baldo, I'm going to come to you. Um. My 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 favorite. What it's not really a moment. It's probably a decision at some point during training, but the fact that he decided to put Niskan Scabano on free kicks just because it gave us that for three week spell of just having absolute joy and fun whenever Niskan Scabano took up stood up to take a free kick. Because in my time supporting Fulham, there's only really been in my time there's only really been two that I can really think of a time we've had set piece specialists, as it were. That was Jimmy Bullard and that was Ross McCormack. The only players are when they actually stood over a free kick, you actually had some confidence that they would be that they'd be able to stick in the goal. They'd been the likes of Klaus Jensen had taken some, Boa Morte had taken some, Chris Baird obviously had his one. But the only Goldberg, never... come on, Steve Haywood. Before my time. Before Mick, my Mick, time. Mickey, Mickey Adams. He's a okay. free kick specialist back in the day. I want to stress, during my time supporting Fulham, I've only ever had those two. So the fact that we had Niskins Cabano and you know, more or less made, you know, I think got into the playoff final purely because of it. But those three weeks in a row, I think it was, of scoring free kicks, was yeah. Sheffield Wednesday, Wigan, and then one against Cardiff. It was just absolute joy. It was absolute joy to watch. So whatever moment that was, that Scott Parker said, right, Alfie Mawson, off you go. We're having Niskins <laughs> Cabano. That, that was the moment for me. I'll put it as that. Yeah, fair enough. And even in the uh, even in the playoff, finally stepped up and hit the side netting, didn't he? I was up across the room when that happened. I thought it was in. It was one of those moments where you kind of thought, well, Cabano's got a free kick. There's a chance this might go in. And as soon as he saw the net go, I was just like, oh, shit. 
but yeah, no, that, that's a, that's a fair point, and almost saw the uh, the introduction of the draft excluder in the wall, didn't it? I, I'm sure it wasn't Niskins Cabano's uh, effort against Sheffield Wednesday that brought that in, but it did kind of coincide with that, didn't it? Where he went under the wall against Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, Morgs, how about for you, mate? Uh, I'm going to go back to the championship season as well. Uh, just how he turned things around uh, post lockdown after the first two games. Mm. I think we looked, uh, you know, after the after the break, they came back into it and they looked off the pace against Leeds and Brentford. But then after that, we looked great. And I think uh, our style of football worked particularly well when there was no one in the stadium because it was patient football. It wasn't interesting, but it got the job done. And it was the kind of football that players didn't need fans getting on their back, trying to sort of uh, do it as the manager had intended. And whilst some of it was a bit turgid, it got us to Wembley and it got us up uh, ultimately. So I think with everything that was quite difficult with the whole break in the season and all that, I think he did very well given his inexperience to get the team playing again and actually sort of get off, uh, you know, get over the two defeats at the beginning to turn us into a team that uh, actually looked really good as we went into the end of, uh, towards the end of the season. Yep, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I'm going to go for the um, the 2018 pre-Wembley good luck message. And I know it obviously predated his time as manager and it predated his time coming back to the club, um, but it wasn't long before. Um, and I just felt like it was, it kind of laid the foundations for um, the kind of... Uh, man management and motivation because I, I watched that and it made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. I thought it was a, an incredible message. Um, loved his passion, loved the words he used. Um, and, you know, th- there's some questions now about how good he is at, at man managing because of his treatment of the likes of Mitrovic. And if he was that much of an arsehole, then how on earth did he get a decent job straight away when he left Fulham? Uh, why Why was anybody interested in him? If, if they looked at him and thought, well, he doesn't treat players well, then nobody would have given him a, a, a chance. Nobody would have given him a job. So um, I, I really enjoyed that video. And I, I just think he, he comes across as a really decent bloke. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's a shame. Wigo? Um, sort of linking back to man management, really, the turnaround of Josh Onoma when we were in the championship. I mean, yeah. when he first came in, Sort of for Ryan Cessnion, got him and £30 million for Ryan Cessnion to go. Onoma played a few games and I remember sitting there thinking, oh my God, what? who yeah. is this? And what is, <laughs> why Why is he playing? And I think and I think it was a Swansea game as well. He managed to get an assist by slipping over, I pulled him on his <laughs> arse and Mitrovic scoring a goal. And just remember thinking, you're so lucky. And you just think, oh, he needs to turn it around or he needs to drop him. And then it got to that Leeds game when Onoma got his first goal and won us a game. And I just remember thinking, brilliant. Well done for getting onto it. Let's hope we can build on it. And then throughout the course of the rest of the season, obviously we had that three-month break, but definitely after lockdown, he got some brilliant goals for us, some crucial goals as well. The one, I think it was against Birmingham at home. We won 1-0, 90th minute. And then the goal at Cardiff, um, one of my goals What's of the goal? season. What's one the of my goal goals that of the se- Yeah unbelievable it just showed he's got strength he's got a bit of pace about him and 
as I say, the turnaround was just remarkable from the player he was when we got him to the end of the season. I was happy for him to start. I, he was one of the first names on the team sheet for me. So, yeah, definitely his turnaround is my favourite Scott Parker moment. But, I think you know, I, that's an interesting one, Josh, on, on Omar as well, because when we're talking about sort of what Tony Khan had done well in terms of recruitment, something tells me that Scott Parker had a lot to do with Onoma being the choice of player that got thrown in that deal with Seth. Because obviously he coached the under-18s, or the, whatever, the U side at Spurs. So he would have known Onoma well previously. And he would have seen what talent he was. And yes, he took a while to get it out of him in the championship. But clearly there was a decent player there. So perhaps he was you know, more integral to the recruitment of Josh Onoma than Tony Khan was in that case. You know what it's like, though, right? When uh, when a player comes to the club and they have a slow start, then straight away you think they're shit. Everybody gets on their backs and it's sink or swim for that player. Barry Hales was a perfect example when he first signed for Fulham. He came from Bristol Rovers. Bristol Rovers, he was he was magnificent for them, came to us. And every time he got the ball in the, in the, in the area, he stuck it into the Hammersmith end or into the Thames or whatever. Bit of an Abubaka Kamara in that sense. But then he became brilliant. And, you know, he's, he, Barry Hales is a club legend now. He, he was superb for us throughout, throughout the divisions. And uh, Josh Onimer could potentially be a, a similar sort of uh, thing, although he didn't get a chance in the Premier League much last season because, you know, Anguissa came. And, and by the way, Anguissa can do one. You don't come back in for the Premier League every time we're in the Premier League and then fuck off in the Championship. Get rid of him permanently. I, I liked him, but... I'm, he's clearly going to go again, and I don't. If we go up again, I don't. I don't want to see. I, I don't want to see him anywhere near the club. Um, but Josh Onoma deserved a chance in the Premier League, really, more so than some of the other players. And uh, and it's it's a shame for him. So hopefully he'll get another chance. Anyway, I, I think he's a good player, and hopefully we'll hang on to him. Um, Dylan, how about you, mate? What was your Scott Parker? What was your favourite moment? Yeah, well, linking into the Josh Onoma story, I was going to go for the Leeds game. I think we come off the back of three losses going into that game and they were on an 11-match unbeaten run. And it was just one of those ones, you know, Leeds, rowdy bunch of fans, half my family seems to support them for some strange reason. And it was just one of those ones where I could sort of see a loss coming from about five miles away. And so to win that game was obviously just very satisfying. But I think we've already covered most of the main points about that. So I think I'd go for a sort of a rare good moment from last season was probably the introduction of Fabio Carvalho towards the end of the season. I mean, it was coming, and if it didn't happen last season, it would have happened this season, but it was just like, a nice touch from Parker to give him a bit of Premier League exposure because he's obviously an undeniable talent and uh, just excited to see what he can do going forwards now. So, yeah, that would be my sort of two moments, two highlights. All right, lads. What, if anything, is Scott Parker's legacy? Wigo? Um, I'd probably have him down as the nearly but not quite man, to be honest because there was a time where it looked like we were going to stay up, as we've been saying throughout this whole episode. You know, after Liverpool, it was like, I think we're going to do this. And then we just completely tailed off with two points out of the last 10 games. Um, least amount of home goals in the Premier League as well. Oh, I'll always remember that. Nine goals. I went to that Newcastle game. I know you did Bordeaux as well and Frenchy. It was painful, a painful 90 minutes. But the only good thing to come out of that afternoon was seeing the new stand. Other than that, I wish I hadn't bothered. Really do. So it will always be a painful attack and a nearly but not quite in terms of staying up for me. Okay, mate. Baldo? 
For me, I think his legacy pr- probably comes off the pitch. I think when you think back to Parker's time, it's going to be the you know, the Chinese and the beer after the playoff final. It's going to be the coats. It's going to be um, the memes. Uh, you know, I can't remember who mentioned it earlier, but after the Aston Villa game, there was that picture of him slumped and defeated. I think that's really what most people are going to remember about Scott Parker is those three things, rather than anything he did sort of on rather than anything he sort of did on the pitch personally. I think for me, having an ex-player cut his teeth at, at management, galvanising uh, a failing squad in the Premier League to begin with, and then going on to get promotion and the the Brentford game, you you know the, that that's got to be the thing, hasn't it? That's that's got to be the thing when when you think about Scott Parker in twenty years' time. I hope people don't remember a, a failing team in the Premier League who struggled to score, but that Brentford game where he called Joe Bryan over under the guise of giving him some tactical, um, technical information, putting his hand over his mouth and saying, hit it. And he did and, and put it in the bottom corner of um, uh, whatever his name, Raya's, Raya's net when uh, when Raya was waiting for the cross. So, you know, that for me, that it's got to be that. It has to be that. You've, you've got to remember people who have achieved something magnificent with the club for the the good thing that they achieved rather than, you know, maybe the, the point, because everybody gets sacked, everybody leaves. So for me, for me, it's the Brentford game. Dylan, what about you, mate? Yeah, it was a mixed bag, wasn't it? I mean, he essentially, he got a team in the championship who probably shouldn't have gone up and he got them promoted. But then he did also send a team who looked like they at one, a couple of stages should have stayed up and deserved to stay up uh, based on some performances. And then, well, we went down under him. But I think, yeah, the overriding thing is that Brentford game, you know. He was always going to leave eventually and he's always he was always going to look to progress his career. But at the end of the day, he did mastermind a sort of massive, massive win on the biggest stage over our probably biggest rivals. So I don't think I don't think that should ever be forgotten. I think that's probably the main founding bit of his legacy. And the nice suit jackets. I uh well, I was gonna say the Brentford game, but that seems a bit uh boring now um i think for me he's the he'll be the manager that helps end the uh goodison park hoodoo you know it's taken decades but we finally won at goodison yes there weren't any fans to see it um but he did something that no other manager could do and that was mastermind a victory up there and then obviously uh winning at anfield as well which obviously um we had done once before but uh still i think it was a it was a great achievement you know, there were, you know, a couple of great results under his, you know, during his tenure in the Premier League, but <laughs> there were no standout, you know, there was nothing standout this season apart from that. So aside from winning, uh, beating Brentford in the playoff final, have to go with that one. And and the win at Anfield, of course. Yeah, but Hodgson had done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. All right. Um, I think... Um... I'd be I'd be lying if I said that I'm not going to keep an eye on how he's doing at Bournemouth. Obviously, they're potential promotion rivals now for us, um, and I, I think regardless of whether they were or not, you know, if he'd gone into a different division, I probably still would have kept an eye on how he was getting on because I, I just quite like him. I, I don't know why. And there's there's been managers in the past that we've had who I just you know I I, I couldn't care less about and um and yeah for, for him I I just do quite like him so I think um I, I want to ask you guys 
is he likely to come and raid our squad? And if so, who's he likely to take to Bournemouth? Baldo. I honestly, I honestly don't think he's going to bring. He's going to be able to bring anyone because I think in the cloud that he left the club in, I don't see any way that you know Fulham are going to do him any sort of favours. You know, if if he wants a player that he thinks will benefit them, then I you know Fulham will just turn it down at every at every single opportunity. Now it may come to a stage where player X puts in a transfer fee, a uh, transfer request, and says, no, I love Scott Parker so much. For instance, let's say Josh Onoma. It may come to that, but I don't think Fulham are going to let anyone go willingly. The only one I could possibly think of in an indirect way would be Josh Madger. Because if you want to count him as a Fulham player from last year, maybe. I think that's probably the only realistic chance, but straight from our team, I don't think, I don't think Fulham are going to let anyone go. He's more than welcome to take Josh Madger from Bordeaux because I think he's a donkey. Um, but Josh Oliver is is a name that I had in my mind as well. The other one I've got in my mind, um, and I don't know what you guys think about this, is Harrison Reed because I know Harrison Reed is quite a, a big fan of Scott Parker. They played in a similar position. Plus, Harrison Reed is from the South Coast. Wigo, I mean, I can see, I can see why you'd say it. To be honest, I think we'd be absolute idiots to let him go to Bournemouth if I'm honest mm. I think we'd have to make them pay well over the odds for him yeah. you know letting any player go to your championship rivals let alone one of your best players as well yeah yeah I mean the the guy's quality when he's not injured in you know in the championship first time round, he was injured quite a bit but when he wasn't he was fantastic and um, sort of on from the facts of players to go with him as well I, I'd say Mitrovic definitely won't be going to Bournemouth um, just as a, <laughs> just a, a guess, anyway. What, you know, you, what they, about? I, I, had a, I had a chat with the Sheffield United channel the other day. What about Mitrovic to Sheffield United, playing a Slav? I could see it happening. I think yeah, I could. As, I, I mean, could as well. he's he's a reason he was with us in the first place. Yeah. Really, I think the Serbian connection there, and you could see when they were uplifting the trophy at the playoff final, Mitrovic and Jukanovic stood together. So there's definitely mm. a good relationship there. Um, but yeah, I hope not. I'd love him. I'd love it if he stayed. But you never know, do you? It's football, isn't it? I can't imagine Sheffield United would be able to afford him. But um, I think I don't know how long he's got left on his contract. Maybe another three years, and I, I think we'd want stupid money for him. I hope he stays. I really hope he stays. Particularly now that Scott Parker's gone and the rumours about Scott Parker and Mitrovic not getting on. Hopefully. Now, meet. I mean, if if you'd have given me the choice at the end of last season, Mitro stays or Scott Parker stays, I would have picked Mitro. Morgs. Uh, on that point, yeah, definitely, because you can get a new manager, and it's very hard to get a 25, 30 goal striker in. Yeah, uh, as a replacement, especially for uh, you know affordable amount of money. I don't think Bournemouth be too much of a threat in terms of um, taking Harrison Reed simply because I don't think their transfer budget is going to be that high. Obviously, they've had a season already back in the championship. They weren't uh, spending big money when they came down. And I don't think Parker's going to have a huge war chest with which to strengthen uh, the side. But he'll be able to bring in a few players. But in much the same way as he worked last season, there are going to be loans coming in. You know, obviously, that's more of a factor of sort of for championship teams than it should be for Premier League teams. Um, but... 
I don't think we're going to, he might sniff around a couple, but as you know, as we said, maybe you know, the players that we'll be left with are the core of the championship team that he pissed off by not playing in the first place in the, in the Premier League. So I don't think there's going to be too many snapping at the bit to try and get out to go down there. Yeah, fair enough, mate. How about you, Dylan? Um, yeah, well, I mean, I think Bournemouth, I think their squad may get picked apart this summer. I mean, I think parachute payments are being cut and I think a lot of their squad is probably good enough for the Premier League. Uh, Harrison Reed, I can't see him going to Bournemouth. I mean, at, at Bournemouth, Park has already got his favourite Harry in midfield. So I think there's, I think two would be a tight, tight squeeze. But um, yeah, I can't see him taking any of our players. I think anyone that's linked would just be sort of the media making, making like looking to make a story rather than anything actually concrete. But uh, yeah, I think, yeah, with Harry Arter down there, he doesn't need to worry about any more Harrys at Bournemouth. Good old Harry Arter. I'm, I'm just reading our, uh, our one of our WhatsApp chats at the moment. It's just making me laugh because earlier on, one of the lads in, in one of our chats was absolutely certain that Chris Wilder was going to be the next Fulham manager. And I know some of the lads have been lumping money on. And and now what apparently... What would do that? <laughs> Quite. Well, I wasn't. I wasn't going to name a shame, mate. But, but now, all of a sudden, it's uh, apparently dead certain that Marco Silva's going to be the next Fulham manager. So, who knows what to believe? The internet is a is a strange place. Or as you you know, as we should all learn, you should never trust people who say they're in the know, because no. invariably yeah. they're full of shit. <laughs> Exactly. Well, anybody can say anything on the internet, can't they? I could go on there and say my mum's going to be the next Fulham manager and she'd probably do a better job than some of the people that have been linked, in all honesty. But anyway... Yeah, go for a lane. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder what odds you get on her becoming the next Fulham manager. What what an appointment. Hi, mum. Mum listens to the show. She'll be loving this. Um, Right, come on. Let's let's wrap it up then. I, I want an overall Scott Parker rating from all of you. And I'm going to go first because I think I'm probably going to go higher than than most of you. Uh, I'm going to go for a seven. Um, I'm going to base it on the fact that he got us promoted uh, with, you know, a a squad that was kind of, um, it it was fit for purpose, let's let's not muck about, but it was a little bit disjointed. Um, In the Premier League, we had a decent away record. You know, what was it? Uh, three away wins. Liverpool, Everton and Leicester. Pretty good. Um, I think he had a clear plan and he was willing to change his ideas as well. You know, you, you saw the first few games of the season where it wasn't working and he decided that he was going to go uh, for for a more kind of counter-attacking um, option, which at times worked, at times it didn't, but at least he tried. And and I I think you know he he wasn't obnoxious with it. He you could tell he was trying his best. So I th- I think he was a nice bloke. I'm going seven. Baldo, what about you, mate? Um. So for me, I think I'm probably gonna I'm gonna give him. I want to say a, I, I want to say a five, just because you've got the ten out of ten that was the first you know there was his first full season. I think I've said many times before I'm not putting anything on him for the ten games or so he was in charge. First time around in the Premier League, there was no one wanted that position. We were gone anyway, which is why I don't like this whole thing. Oh, he's been relegated with Fulham three times. No, you can't put that one on him. You could put the first one as a player on him. You could put the second one as, a, but not the first one. So, 
10 out of 10 for what he did first time in the championship. Gave us arguably one of the best nights in our history, you know, beating that lot down the road in the playoff final in the manner that we did. But at the same time, he gets an absolute zero for what he did for what he did in the Premier League. Even though there were some high points, there was yeah, you know, there was the win against Everton, there was the win against Liverpool, there was the but in, in the end, it was still relegation, whichever way you mark it up. Baldo, so, you were on the show so many times last season. I don't ever remember you giving him a zero. That's well harsh. Hold on. I think you'll find overall, marry them together, he gets a five, which I think is fair. Overall, he gets a five. <laughs> all okay? Right, all right. He gets a five. All right, mate. All right. Uh, Wigo, how about for you, mate? I've also gone with a five, but I haven't, unlike Baldo, I've not split it over two seasons. It's kind of a steady sort of five over the course of two seasons. Obviously, the Brentford game we've been talking about the whole episode was a fantastic night. One I'll never forget, but this season has just been atrocious. Five wins in 38, nine goals scored at home all season. Less than Derby, you know, that is dreadful. I, th- I think five's generous, to be honest, and... I've been Parker out all season, mostly, as well. And, yeah, as I say, five's generous from me. But that is the score I'm going to go with. But yeah. OK, mate. All right. Lovely stuff. Dylan, how about you? Um, I think I'll give him I'll give him an eight for the first season in the Championship. I mean, a 10 out of 10 would be winning every game 5-0. I mean, we won when it mattered, but there was some, you know, slip-ups against Barnsley, Hull, just a few that spring to mind. I think I'll give him a four. A four or a five for the last season's attempt. Not the best, but then, um, admittedly, sometimes he had his hands tied behind his back and the, perform- the performances weren't good enough when it really mattered, which is the most damning thing. Uh, but in terms of his uh, his managerial attire, I'll give him a straight 10 out of 10. I think absolutely <laughs> incredible. None of those sort of Thomas Tuchel bin bag style jackets you see in the cup final. He was... Straight out of the MS catalogue every single week without fail. And for that I, I can't I can't speak highly enough of him. <laughs> They're gonna love that on the South Coast, aren't they? I just love to see what yeah, he's gonna wear yeah. on the I mean, yeah, you want to see what he's gonna wear on the beach. With the belting temperatures down there. Maybe a nice pair of swimming trunks or something. Snorkel <laughs> flippers, we'll see. <laughs> on the sidelines in a pair of speedos and, <laughs> and a snorkel. You'll be incredibly <laughs> apt if they thought sinking towards League One now. Yeah, quite. Very, 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 very good. Yeah. All right, Morgs, how about you, mate? I was going to give him a four based on the rumours about his man management, but I think that's kind of because it is rumours and I have no way of confirming whether they're correct or not. I'm going to give him a six uh, purely, you know, based on the fact that he'd get us promoted at his first full season as a manager. And, uh, but you can't give him anything above that because, well, I can't give him anything above that because this season, a few decent wins aside, he showed his inexperience and the fact that he was massively out of his depth for the most part. So I think he did well in full in his first season, terribly in his second season. And I think he still has a lot to learn and he hopefully will do. Hopefully it doesn't all, well, I don't mind if it goes tits up for him at Bournemouth this season, uh, but I think uh, it's going to be a learning curve for him over the next few years if he is going to become the next big thing in English football management, which obviously the media were almost playing him up to be, and I think he's a long way off it. So we shall see. Just one other thing then. So you say that Scott Parker was massively out of his depth. 
So how Fulham would it be if we then went on to appoint the only bloke who finished beneath him in the Premier League in Chris Wilder? Perfectly Fulhamish. Yeah, it'd be amazing. Perfectly Fulham, right? <laughs> so, it'd, be, it'd, be a, it'd be amazing, wouldn't it? But we're not because clearly all the rumours about him joining and having already signed were absolute bollocks. So it's, uh, you know, it's fine. We'll just get the guy who hasn't managed in the championship before instead. Yeah, lovely stuff. All right. Well, there will hopefully be a new manager in place soon. So we'll be back for a chat about whoever that may be as and when it's announced. Don't forget to chuck some money to Morg's Virgin Money Giving page. Thanks as always for listening. Thanks to the pod team members, old and new, for joining me. Chat to you soon. Cheers. Cheers.